We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And welcome back to another episode of the Golden Blogs podcast, the Bearcast. We are back here uh, in somewhat of a weird setting. Um, I'm currently at home. Andy is currently not here. Uh, I am in Hawaii. <laughs> he is in Hawaii. That is right. Where, Whereas I am in sitting in weather, which is close to, I'd say what, about 60? Was it about 60 when you left this morning? It was about 60, right? Yeah, now, and rainy. Yeah, now you're sitting in sunshine and 85 degree weather. Uh, uh, well, yeah, it was sunshine. Now, now it's nice and dark. But uh, yeah, I get off the plane. It was 88 degrees. Hopped into some shorts. Went to Kona Brewery. It's been nice, man. Talk about a good way to recover from a pretty rough Saturday. That sounds like the, <laughs> that sounds like the life. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah, yeah I. Yeah, we'll get into Saturday in a little bit, but um, let's let's get to it. Our uh, our three top of the line items from this week. Uh, you want to start with yours, Nandy? Well, I I think you just said we'd get into Saturday in a little bit, but <laughs> we're getting right into Saturday. We're, we're jumping right in. Um, yeah. So my first thing is Sonny's unwillingness or seeming unwillingness to adopt the underdog mentality, uh, and what this stems from is his consistent comments on sort of know why he doesn't play his backups is because he doesn't want to uh show his team that he's giving up but what i think that ends up doing and what i wrote in uh sort of the recap this week is i think that prevents you from being more aggressive and uh, if you if you assume like he said and this is one of my second items like he didn't expect his defense to give up 45 points first of all in what worlds are you living in where you didn't expect that? We've only <laughs> we've given up like sixty points the last three weeks. Like, why did you think that we would hold Stanford to twenty eight uh, or like you know at worst thirty four? It doesn't make doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm curious to get your thoughts on on sort of that point there about if you feel like our team just doesn't buy into that underdog mentality. I think there's it's just a fine line between jumping into a game being confident and being unprepared 
or I don't want to say unprepared, but I, uh, what's another word for it? Um, like not being realistic. I think I guess that's the only way to put it. Um, yeah. And so if you're if you're talking in the confident world, then yeah, that makes sense, right? You're going to tell your team, yeah, we can we can we're we can beat them. Like you know, sound like our team is good. We can we can do it. We did it against Utah. We can do that type of performance again, and let's get to it, boys. But on the flip side, you have to be realistic in the sense that the offensive line and the run game that Stanford has does not even compare to the one that Utah is. Like Utah is a great, great offensive line and run game, but Stanford's offensive line and run game is national caliber. You know, there's a reason they were in the top 15 to start the season. So, yeah, that. That's it's just it's managing both like because you want to get your team's spirits up before the game, but at the same time, you as a coach should be able to distinguish getting your team hyped up versus how you game plan and understanding that you're probably going to be behind in this game and having to make some gambles to get back into the game. Yeah, totally agree, um, and that's why I feel like killed us is it was very obvious that you know had we gotten a touchdown there it's it's easy to use the anderson field goal example because he missed yeah but i like to use that example assuming that he was going to make it and just situationally it's it just and this will go right into my second point so i think this is a an, at least a decent segue into it it's like why are you giving spav two chances in short yards and you didn't he said he got a negative play but it was still fourth and 3 it wasn't like it was fourth and eight or anything like that. It was fourth and three, and we go for the field goal to get points on the board, and then follows it up with, um, "Yeah, you know, if I had known that we were going to give up forty-five points, then I would have gone for it." It's it's almost like you have two different answers there, and I appreciated <clears throat> I appreciated the answer a lot because. Compared to everything else in that press conference, I thought it was at least interesting and genuine. Yeah. Um, but so much contradicts because he, of what he said about not having the talent defensively, uh, not ha- being able to recruit the right guys, the focus from the media, is, and you got to own that responsibility on, on tackling. Oh, God. And then, uh, and then you play that into his answer, and it's sort of like, wait, but – you just said all of these things, and then you used our defense as the reason as to why he didn't go, go for it. So uh, what gives? I, I don't know. It was really confusing for me. It was more like in retrospect, as I was reflecting back on that, it made less and less and less sense to me over time. And so now I've had a day to think on it, and I still can't arrive at a good place with sort of why we went for the field goal in that situation and, and why we didn't try and at least get you know a touchdown there if we did the game would have been tied going into the fourth uh going into the fourth quarter would have been a tie ball game and that you know big game all those weird little things start to happen in those types of situations um and but then you know it the game wasn't yeah i mean yeah i will delve into it when we get deeper into the game aspect of it but yeah, there were just some points in that, in, especially in that press conference, and and I guess I'll talk about my first point uh, before we move on. Um, is Sonny's post game quotes from this game, which included the likes of what you talked about, that tackling um, aspect of it, 
but there were some other ones that were just that were just off. Um, so as you talked about the field goals, where he said, you know, he basically he's basically saying that he just wanted the points um, before before anything. But if you look at the flip side, he's also saying that the reason they lost was because of the defense and that we weren't as deep at certain positions as he would have liked to have been. Then if that's the case, if you know your defense isn't going to be able to get the stops for you, then you should have gone for the touchdowns. You know, I don't think any fan would have been upset with the fact that he went for it. If anything, most fans would have praised him for going uh, for the touchdown. Uh, but, I mean, let me just read you the quote about tackling. I, this 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 is my, like, big quote that's going to – I think this is going to be a big issue going into this, like, next two weeks. Is So here's what he said. He said, quote, The best way to improve tackling, honestly, is recruiting. The better athlete you are, the better you tackle. We can tackle all we want to. We can tackle dummies. We can tackle each other in life situations. But so much of tackling is how good an, of an athlete you are, end quote. What? <laughs> I mean, you look at the you look at the roster that he has right now. That means close to about nine. You know, I was talking to Nam about this, and close to about ninety percent of the roster that he has are guys that he recruited. Um, and you're saying that they're not good enough athletes to tackle? That's I I don't know what to say to that. I really don't. Um, it's uh, it was a weird answer because you're kind of throwing your defensive coordinator under the bus for not improving the tackling but you're also kind of throwing your players under the bus saying that they're not good enough athletes which is i don't think that's anything that any defensive player or anybody on any team wants to hear from your coach saying that you're not good of an athlete yeah i i think i can i think i can barely understand it from the perspective of you know, you have a converted quarterback playing safety and walk-ons, and I think maybe it was an extension of that point. And if you, because I do remember him talking about that, he's talking about you know walk-ons and true freshmen that shouldn't be out on the field, and 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 so from that perspective, if you're saying, I think it's lost when he talks about athletes as a whole, because you're right, and we do have athletes on the defensive side of the ball. Very good ones, actually. And, you know, some especially in the secondary. Uh, and, I mean, Saffle, I mean, we really, there's, got, there's talent. So, I mean, that's the biggest thing. There's talent. So to loop them all in and say that they're not athletic enough is I th- a def- is kind of a bizarre a bizarre thing to say. I mean, but I think, yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's, just, it's just weird because, you know, I, look at, I looked at some of the statistics from the big game, you know, and um, just – or Stanford ran it 50 times um, versus uh, Christ throwing only 23 times, right? And he was talking about how, um, if you remember, at the end, towards the end of the press conference, he was saying how, you know, nowadays your safeties are the ones that are usually the leading tacklers of the team. Yeah, well, that's usually the case because you're playing a team that likes to throw the ball. So the safeties have to come down and make those tackles when the ball is thrown. But if the ball's balls run 50 times your leading tackler in that game shouldn't be your safeties or even in your corners it should be either your linebackers or your linemen but the fact that in our game right here our leading tackler was actually oh well Devontae Downs was leading tackler but Jalen Hawkins was the next one up at five, at 10 
five solo and five assisted. Like it, the, and then Kari Vanderbilt right there with eight with five solo and three assisted. Like it doesn't make sense that your safeties should be the last gasp run defense that you have. It should. I thought it was a very yeah. I thought it was a very interesting quote. Uh, I, I turned to you in the press conference and sort of had a look on my face of like, wait, what? Because it depends on the team you play where your safety might have the most tech. Like exactly. Stanford, Solomon Thomas, Solomon Thomas going into the big game was the leading tackler on that team. And he plays defensive end. Like it isn't a universal rule that your safety has to make the majority of the tackles. If you're Washington State, they use their safeties that way. But if you're Stanford and SC that's not the case. Um, they SC uses more of their linebacking core, and so I don't know that that was just I I honestly think, and this goes back to your first point that maybe Sonny Dykes has just totally delegated defense to Art Kaufman and just says this is your responsibility and looks at it from the perspective of they are not delivering, and so what he's saying is more indicative of how he views that side of the ball being run maybe than necessarily like specifically about those players because he's so far removed from it because it seems like he's saying things that are coming from a position of like i don't uh, know what's going on on that side of the ball like that's what it kind of sounds like to me yeah it's that's you don't want that from your head coach no matter how much of a head coach like offensively you think you are like you're the head coach you should be knowing and being be able to make decisions on both sides of the ball, right? Um, yeah, the safety so, thing was weird. <laughs> yeah, it was really weird. Yeah, I mean, if we had played Oregon, or like if we had played Washington State, and that's the quote he gave, like, I'd have been like, all right, that's fine. Yeah, understandable. Because the guy threw it 60 times on you, and if our safeties aren't deep enough, then we don't have constantly fresh legs, and we're only playing like three or four guys back there, then yeah, we're going to get burned, because guys are going to get tired, and walk-ons aren't going to make the same tackles that you know scholarship athletes do it's that's just how it is um but that wasn't the case this week so i'm just as confused as you are um so on to my second point is is it all right to start thinking about next year Mm -hmm. (laughs) are we at that are we at that i think we're at that point right i think Next year's... This year isn't any fun, so we might as well just start talking about <laughs> next year. Yeah, and I think that leads pretty much straight into your point three. Yeah, I mean, the biggest news, I think, is Charlie Strong is expected to lose his job. Texas lost to Kansas. Shout out to Zach Yenser and Rob Likens uh, for getting that done. But Charlie Strong is on his way out. Um, my point is if Sonny leaves and decides to go to greener pastures for Mr. Sonny, which is something like Baylor, um, go back home to Texas, cost of living. You know, Texas no, Tech. No income tax in the state of Texas. So University of uh, Houston. So yeah, so let's say he goes there. Um, you know, I would be a big, big fan of hiring Charlie Strong. And there's actually been some pretty decent like opposition. I think Peter treated out today. It's like would you be willing to pay strong the amount of money that he'd probably command knowing that he lost two Sonny Dykes twice? And I think I would, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. Um, for me, I think I would. I think I'd, I'd, if I were AD and I had that decision to make, I think I would. I, I look at this and go, all right, 
let's let's take a step back and look at why we hired Sonny. One, we needed him to clean up the the academics, right? That check. We needed him to get people in seats and provide a brand of football that would draw crowds so that we would be able to refinance and basically pay off all the the debt that we have accrued from renovating the stadium. Semi check mostly <laughs> mostly due to Jared Goff and what happened in the last 2 years. And the beginning of the season wasn't that bad either. Um but it's clear to see that just because you have a powerful powerful offense can't mask the fact that your defense is leaking out more points than your offense can create. So, if I'm Mike Williams, I look at this and go, "All right. Why don't we flip? Why don't we flip it? Why don't why don't we we go away from getting a guy who might have a very very dynamic and very very amazing offense and let's just go stout defense. Let's just go with a guy that let's totally flip the brand of Cal football and just go we are hard-nosed, you know, that whole um blue collar gold swagger, you know, mentality that uh, some guys seem to use as hashtags for Cal football. Like, let's go. Let's let's fully push that, and let's go in that total opposite route. At the same time, maintain our academic excellency. Charlie Strong hasn't had any academic issues, at least to my knowledge, while he's been at Texas for three years. I don't think he had any academic issues when he was at Louisville for three years. I think he could recruit here. I, I really think he could do it. Um, and yeah, I mean, even if Sonny doesn't leave, I'd say we, even if it's a one year stopgap or a two year stopgap, we throw all the money we have at him to get him as our defensive coordinator. Yeah. I just think I'd rather see, I mean, I totally agree. Uh, the academics, you don't hear a lot of negatives about that program off the field, um, that I can remember with Texas and under Charlie Strong, he probably needs a step out of the limelight in what he's dealing with in Texas and just so much attention being on that football team. And, you know, welcome to Berkeley where it's like, Hey, you go f- five and seven and, or, you know, worse, potentially worse than that. And we're still going to put 50,000 people in the seat. And yeah, if we lose, okay, it's Cal. Like, you know, like yeah. the same level of expectation isn't there at the same time. Um, what I like the most about him is that his players seem to absolutely love him. And so I think if you see a coach, like Dykes leave and Dykes builds a program based around that bond of a team and he ends up leaving, that can be pretty demoralizing. And so you'd want someone that can come in here and really get everybody excited and limit the damage in regards to transfers or anything like that. So, um, and then not to mention Charlie Strong, his offense has been there. Like we've seen the, what a Charlie Strong offense can do. And if, you know, if this theoretical situation, which probably won't happen, comes to life, uh, maybe Spavadol says, I like, uh, you know, I want to stick here. And, and then he stays on and you have two of the more dynamic uh, recruiting minds in college football working together to try and put together a pretty good program. I get pretty excited about this. But, uh, you know, this is a long, long ways away from happening. A very, very long way. I mean, the big thing here is that as you said, he gets to step away from the limelight. When you're in Berkeley, it's if you win, you're in the spotlight. If you lose, no one cares. Like you're, that's just how it runs, right? It's uh, we've seen it with the Tedford era. Like in terms of national coverage and like people just 
magnifying every single and scrutinizing every single thing you do, it tends to happen when you're better and not when you're bad, at least here. Um, so I think it's the perfect place to go. I, But I do want to read this quote. Uh, so the news broke like yesterday that he was fired, but then Texas's uh, AD, Mike Perrin, actually gave a statement today. And I just want to read this because this is, this is really weird because basically all the reporters that have sources inside Texas and, and know are in the know are saying that he's gone. And yet AD, the AD is saying, quote, there are a number of rumors out there about the status of coach strong. I said it all along. We will evaluate the body of work after the regular season. We have a game to get ready for against TCU on Friday. And I hope our fans will come out and support our team. We'll discuss where things stand after that. End quote. <laughs> That's not necessarily a very strong word of affirmation, nor is it saying like we're really going to consider it after like this is just bringing him out to dry in my opinion. It's like the worst thing you could do to a coach because it's basically no, no. The worst thing you can do to a coach is leave him on the tarmac. That That's is okay. Nice. Okay, that that is true. No, would you rather be left on the tarmac knowing that you're done, or would you rather have to coach one last game knowing that you're just like a dummy coach just for one more game? One more game. Really, really. Yeah, okay. I think I want more time with my team and the people I put together there. And that quote isn't awful. I mean, it's not great. It's not like they're throwing their support. I mean. Texas, it's just different. It's just a different world, and I think he knew that. And I think, you know, we watched that clip in the press box. It was kind of hard to watch, you know, hearing what Charlie thought that yeah. loss, what kind of impact that would have on his future. Like he's someone who takes it very personally. And I feel like when you're dealing with someone who's a professional, like that's the, probably the last thing the AD wants to come out and have to comment on, because you want to have that guy's back so that another person looks at the Texas job and doesn't say, "Wow, that's how they treat their employees." So I think the tarmac thing to me is so much worse. <laughs> it's just such a bad way to treat someone, and I don't blame Lane Kiffin for getting that, you know, bringing that back. I'm sure that that is something that he will not forget for a long time. Yeah. So yeah, that is now a point uh, of news to consistently watch throughout this uh, college football offseason. So we'll see where that goes. But uh, on to my last point. My last point is the Michigan-Ohio State game next week actually has more implications than I actually thought it would have. Um, I thought it would just be a really good rivalry game, but instead it's the 2-3 matchup, which means that pretty much whoever loses this game is not going to make the playoffs. Um, so that's uh, yeah, that's going to be one hell of a game to watch, uh, especially Harbaugh versus Urban Meyer. Like that's that that alone. Like I'm I'm intrigued, very very intrigued. Than, Michigan Ohio State yep. doesn't get much better than that. Nope, it doesn't. Um, what time is it on? Uh, I believe the game is at. I can't find it. Uh, Michigan Ohio State nine a.m. Pacific on ABC. Oh, 7 a.m. Hawaiian time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's at Ohio. Yeah. And uh, guess how much the cheapest tickets available on StubHub are? 160. 228. Wow. <laughs> this is the biggest game in Ohio since the World Series. Or maybe bigger, actually. I think, I think more people might care about this, you know, the state of Ohio than they do about the Indians. Probably. I think so. Um, yeah. That's 
But that game is going to be that game's going to be nuts. Absolutely nuts. Waking up for. We'll see if Harbaugh can finally win. Like you know, Harbaugh's record in college is always like he's always been very good. Yeah, but, but I feel like he lacks that that big big win. Uh, so it'd be interesting if he got this and got into the playoffs. Yeah, I'm I'm rooting for Michigan in this one. I'd rather I'd rather see Michigan than Ohio State. Um, Root for Michigan. Hope that Harbaugh bounces to the NFL, which he will. Yep. Go to the, he's going to go to the Bears. And uh, maybe we can get some recruits. Steal some from Michigan? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He's really well compensated. <sighs> All right, let's move on to our game. We might as well talk about it and get it over with since we're on the topic of getting over things. Um, all right, so Cal, Stanford, the big game, 119th edition of the big game. Uh, let's talk about how the stadium felt, the experience. Um, did you notice anything different in the air coming up to the stadium or walking through Berkeley? Yeah, I was surprised. It was a really shitty day. <laughs> <laughs> it was It was raining. raining. It was windy. All day. It was windy. And everyone was out. The tailgates were, you know, rocking and rolling. Um, the stadium was pretty full. The paid attendance was up in the mid fifty threes, I think. Um, and yeah, I was the student section was packed. Yeah. So, hooray! That I mean, that was just such a pleasant surprise. I didn't expect that at all. Nope. I expected. I expected what we saw in terms of the stadium like filled i expected that if the day was nice but then i woke up on saturday and i said uh like it's it's i think i think more people more cal fans might just go oh we're going to lose this anyways like might as well just not go like just cuz it's the weather sucks but as you said i mean i was walking up from the stadium from our media parking lot at underhill and frat houses had their beer pong tables out on the on the lawns um you know kids were walking around in uh in in just regular clothing, weirdly, I didn't I didn't see a lot of students that had um, ponchos on, which was weird because um, it was really yeah. pretty hard. I had that same thought. I literally <laughs> turned to my dad and was like, "Oh, I guess this is what it's like to be in college." <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, we were nice and cozy in the press box. That was that was nice. Uh, sorry to all the people that were out in the rain. I know your dad was out in the rain too. Um, but you know, we were, we had our popcorn, we were, we were nice and cozy in there, uh, eating our blue and gold gummy bears. So yeah, that did uh, not work. <laughs> no, did not work. No. And it left me with one hell of a stomach ache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause we ate a lot of gummy bears expecting that maybe if we keep eating these blue and gold gummy bears, like it'll energize our team and we'll win. But no, no, it just, no, it derailed us. <laughs> um, did you Uh-oh. notice, did you notice anything different after the game was over? Or was it just a normal loss? I felt quiet. I felt frustrated. I think I think we saw I think our perspective is interesting just having been at that press conference. Um, you know, we saw a short press conference when we lost to Washington, but we saw more of like an angry press conference against Stanford. Mm-hmm. Davis Webb came out and was like, yeah, we play with zero margin for error. We win games we play perfect in, and any other game we make a mistake in, we lose. That's a very strong quote if you take some time to look at it and say, yeah, he's talking about the fact that if Cal makes any mistakes on offense or doesn't score a touchdown, then it's going to come around on the other end in regards to our defense giving it up. 
And then you saw Sonny come in and say something on Chad Hansen was like the ray of positive light. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that whole press conference. And then Jalen Hawkins and Devontae Wilson. But it was a pretty negative vibe. And then it also, I just thought it was a really weird representation from the media. Like, I thought we asked some kind of bizarre questions that continued to harp on the defense, the defense, the defense, when there was actually a lot of more interesting things in the football game that happened that didn't get discussed. So to me, that was the takeaway after the feeling after was this weird. There's a there's a legit negative vibe hanging on the program right now. Like this is a big losing streak, not only to Stanford and not only in the big game, but also just this season has gone once again, like from the beginning of the year looking great to you know a crash. But this one, unlike last year, hasn't stopped. Yeah, and let's then let's delve right into it. Um, so the 119th big game. Cal Stanford in Berkeley. Cal loses thirty-one to forty-five. Um, just to read you some statistics, uh, Cal had twenty-seven first downs. Stanford only had twenty-four. Um, Cal had nineteen first downs due to on the pass through the passing game. Stanford had sixteen first downs through the rushing game. Uh, net rushing for Stanford was three hundred fifty-seven. Cal was ninety. Net passing, Stanford was 198, Cal was 393. Um, the margin of turnovers um, was zero. Um, there were no points scored off of turnovers at all. Um, none of the quarterbacks threw an interception. You know, nothing, nothing of that sort happened. Even though it was a rain game, which was really weird to me. Uh, but Christian McCaffrey set a big, big game uh, record for rushing. He uh, Ran 31 times for 284 yards, an average of 9.2 and three touchdowns. His longest, of course, as everyone's seen it on ESPN, that 90-yard touchdown run. And then, of course, uh, Chad Hansen comes back with uh, seven receptions for 114 yards and two touchdowns. Longest was a 70-yard run, which was the first play of the game. So, Actually, the first play of the Cal's game because uh, Stanford actually started off with the ball, and we looked great on defense in that possession. So... Um, yeah, let's get right into it, Andy. Um, any uh, any particular thoughts in terms of what happened in the game first? Um, I think Davis Webb broke the big game record for passing yards too, yep. so that's kind of cool. Like, an, as an afterthought, the forty-five thirty-one scoreboard is actually just totally misleading. Uh, I mean, we scored that last touchdown with zero things in the balance i'm pretty sure stanford actually declined a holding penalty yep <laughs> so just so the clock uh, would keep going yeah so uh that is you know one of those things where the scoreboard actually makes it look a little bit more respectable than it really was no realistically but, uh, it was 45 24 that's yeah. that's what it was yeah i it was great i mean chad hansen's my player of the game he's all i love watching him he's got great hands Seeing him with that that level of speed, where he could just turn on the Jets and outrun a corner and a safety to the goal line, I just you know, if there was any questions about his ankle, I think he just answered them. Um, we don't see him show up as much as he did at the beginning of the season, which makes sense as Webb's gotten more comfortable with a couple other guys. But it was uh, really cool to see him back, and there was a, I mean. Within the first half, I you know I went into the game being like, yeah, we're probably going to lose by a couple scores, and um, was very pleasantly surprised. Thought we played a pretty even first half. I just wish we had played a little bit more aggressively, and 
I was excited for our guys. And, and then also seeing them celebrate that fourth quarter's ours or whatever. They, like, truly believed they were going to win the football game. And good for them for not buying, you know, not losing hope or opting out. Uh, you know, it seems as though all of our players are still bought in, which is a great sign. Yeah, I mean, you look at you look at just the target or the number of receptions, right? Chad Anson had seven, Bug Rivera had six, D Rob had five, Watson had four, Calfani three, VC had two, Malik Morris had two, and Raymond Hudson had two. Um, and so you look down the line, and that's that's a pretty balanced way to to throw around the ball. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Bug Rivera actually had led the team in targets, so he actually had the most balls thrown to him. He only just the only thing is he just caught six of them. Um, so, you know, you, you look at that and go, that distribution might have helped probably mid or earlier on in the season. Like, it it looked like Davis Webb only was comfortable with Chad Hansen at the beginning of the season. Now that he's more comfortable with everyone else, the season's over. So, that's kind of a, it's a bummer um, in a way to see it. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, what were What were your... Reactions to the game or positive and negatives? Uh, let's see. The positives from the game was that the young guys still look good. Uh, Tobias Robertson still looks good. Chad Hansen will most likely be here next year, which thank God, thank thank the heavens, he'll still be here. Um, and he doesn't course, have to be here. He doesn't have to be. But I just think that missing those many games actually lowers his draft stock than it actually helps him. Um, so, you know, maybe he comes back for one more year. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. That's 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 going to be a point of interest uh, during the off season. But as it stands right now, I don't think he, I don't think he goes to the NFL. Um, but who knows? That could change with a coaching change too. So there's just too many factors to consider at this point. Um, in terms of negatives. You know what? I've had, I think I've ha- might have had too much time to digest this game because, like, I can't think of. I think I've kind of erased everything that's happened. Like everything we've watched, I think I kind of just went, "Oh yeah, that's that's pretty much how I expected it to happen." Um, <laughs> but unbelievably depressing. It is. Uh, I guess the big thing for me is that we kept. I mean, yeah, Christian McCaffrey did run for 284 yards and did run for three touchdowns, but it didn't seem like he ran that much, um, like, in terms of big, big runs. Do you, do you get what I'm trying to say? It's It felt like um, we held them quite often to, you know, to third downs and to... Um, they had to convert a lot of third downs. We weren't just giving up, like, 12, 13-yard runs on first and second down. And I was quite happy with the D line and the and the linebackers holding their offense to that degree. I mean, we got into a couple situations where you know it was third and thirteen or like third third and eight, and we just if we had gotten those stops, it would have helped. But the fact that we were even in those positions to begin with, because I thought we were just going to bleed yards to McCaffrey on every single touch he got. Um, but there were quite often times where we stopped him, and we we got it to the point where we just needed one more focused defensive play. And we just didn't get it. So I guess, yeah, that's a, that's a positive. For me. I guess one more positive is that our offense moved the chains. Like we, we got more first downs than they did. Like we, 
we constantly had the ball on with our offense, and we would just move the chain slowly, and we would get into the red zone, and we converted, I think, on three of our three red zone attempts, right? So, yeah, for it's t- misleading. It's yeah, misleading that, though, because yeah. we moved the ball well, but then we also had we also had those moments where we would move the ball upfield and we get into the midfield, then we do a punch, pooch punt. Yeah, and it was like, why in the world is it not four down territory? And I think that. It ended up, you know, the first possession out of the half was devastating with that drop by, I think, uh, I don't want to say, I don't want to say his name. So I, I think there were a couple of drops. I think Chad had one. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think Bug said he, Bug, Bug dropped one. Yeah, Bug fessed up that he had one, um, especially late, it was later on in the game, which would have, I think, narrowed the game down to seven, if I remember correctly. It's just that he was going on a down and out route and then, he just he just slipped on the field um, and just couldn't get to where the ball was placed in time. So, yeah, I think that the offense did regain some of the flow that we saw early in the season. It was great to see that we used screen passes pretty effectively. Um, you know, it was great seeing the running backs. The, the Trey played fantastic. Um, Calfani had a couple of great plays that, that really. Like, Calfani's play in particular. So we got that block sealed on the outside by Addison. Um, ooms, and then all of a sudden, like we're at the you know into Stanford territory, and then we kind of bungle the next couple of plays, and then we're like, okay, punt. And I just don't. I just so if we're going to focus on I, the negatives to me are just the sheer lack of a, an aggressive game plan. And the fact that we were so laid back about it and like, oh, yeah, we'll give the ball back and trust our defense. And then, you know, 2020 being what it is, and then later looking back on it, like, yeah, our defense isn't that good. Like, of course our defense isn't that good. I really would have loved more of an aggressive game plan uh, coming out against our rivals and, you know, being the underdog and punting and not taking advantage of those of that field position felt kind of out of place to me yeah it it wasn't a great feeling knowing that clearly we were the underdogs in this game and we were playing it like it the like we went into this where it was a toss-up game um and yeah the, the frustrations i know mounted for you definitely um and for a lot of people watching as well so yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I, we would get into adjustments for next week, but I don't know if there's. I mean, with the last, with it being the last game of the season, I just, I just don't know what adjustments you can make. Um, just be more aggressive. It you have nothing to lose. Yeah, <laughs> there's literally nothing to lose. Be aggressive. Go out and attack UCLA like you've never beaten them in your career, and that's exactly the situation that is in front of our team right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I was it Chad Hansen that said that he was talking about how there's only, you know, no one on this team has beaten Stanford. Um, there's only a handful of us that have beaten UCLA before, so they're going to go into this game with the same mentality of, you know, just trying to just be the team that they've never beaten before. Um, but, I mean, I I really liked, I guess the last positive for me about this game was Chad's honesty in the postgame conference, I think, for me, was was really great because um, he, you know, they asked him about whether the whether the uh, weather played a factor in the game for him, and he said, you know what, as a as a football player, you would hope that you would hope to you just say that it didn't, but to be honest, it did. 
Um, but of course, at the same time, it affected both teams. Um, and there were just he, he was talking about just plays that he needed to make. Um, and so I really liked yeah. that. I really liked that he was honest with that and just said, yeah, you know, weather does play a factor, um, but it just affects both teams. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Totally agree. He uh, he he definitely won the press conference for whatever it's worth. He just seemed to be the most authentic. And bug bug too. I love the guys, but yeah, his his was really refreshing. Yeah. Instead of just the the normal answer of no, it had no effect on me. Um, yeah, that, which is pretty much what we usually get out of Davis Webb, and which is what he said at, at the press conference as well, right? So. <laughs> Uh, all right, on to next season. Uh, but for now, on to our uh, game of the week, Pac-12 game of the week recap. Andy, uh, which what was your best game of this week other than our game? Well, the game I chose from last week was UCLA versus USC, and Sam Darnold is the truth. SC is really good. ESPN is insane. <laughs> USC in the top six, uh, which is just the silliest thing I've ever seen, but. USC is really good, and it's kind of fun to watch as much as I despise the Trojans. Um, I've been a big uh, – I shouldn't say that. I have thought that Clay Helton is a good example of a hire that Cal could make. And, yes, he has a lot better talent level, but at the same time, you know, he wasn't a highly regarded coach coming in, and he's done quite well with that team. and. Um, it's been cool to see him do well. It's, not, it's far less enjoyable to see the Trojans do well. So, yeah, I mean, SC looks uh, looks really tough. Yeah, uh, they're only going to get better, especially going to next year. Despite the fact that they'll probably lose both Adoree Jackson and Juju, they their talent level and who they bring in is just absolutely insane. I think they're losing Iman too. Yeah, I be- yeah, yeah, I believe they lose Marshall as well. So. Yeah, uh, for me, the game for, for mine was Washington State-Colorado, um, and that game played exactly uh, – well, actually, it didn't play exactly as I expected to, but um, the excitement level in that game played exactly as I thought it would. Um, you know, Luke Falk did his thing, threw for 325 yards, um, three touchdowns and interception. Cepho threw for 345 yards, and he also ran for 108. He also ran for three touchdowns. So – that right there, and then of course Washington State loses the game, thirty-eight twenty-four. But the big, the big key for me in this one was that Colorado actually shut out Washington State in the fourth quarter, um, which, which was mind blowing to me because I did not think Colorado's defense could hold up against Washington State's offense. I just thought that Washington State offense was way too dynamic. But I guess the, the fact that they lost River Craycraft after our game did play a bigger impact than I expected it to. Um, so, yeah, that was just that was just impressive. Um, that Colorado now basically... Well, now, with, with the fact that Oregon lost, that means that Colorado needs to win, and they need USC to lose to Notre Dame next this upcoming week in order for Colorado to win the South. But in that same sense, they still kind of hold their own destiny because they still have to win their last game. So... Mm. Yeah, I, I'm thoroughly impressed with... And Colorado, with this win, if they do win and win the Pac-12 South, and then they do get in the Pac-12 Championship game, and they win that game as well, they're, I think they're easily in the conversation for the playoffs. I I don't think you can count them out. 
which is which is mind blowing to me right now <laughs> that Colorado yeah is in contention for the playoffs. That just that's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Oh man! All right, let's move on to our game this upcoming week. Cal, UCLA, and Berkeley. Cal uh, is a four-point underdog to UCLA. Uh, the game was announced to be aired on ESPN2 at 4 p.m. Pacific. Why? <laughs> why? <laughs> no, I just... Why did ESPN pick this game up? I don't know. It makes, it makes no sense. I'm just as confused. <laughs> Oh boy! Well, yeah, exciting stuff. Who's the X factor for us to watch? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Realistically, I think for UCLA, it definitely has to be their defense. Um, especially if I remember, if Tack McKinley is is not injured, um, that is definitely the the biggest defensive guy to watch for them in terms of their offense. You know, it has to be Soso Jamabo. Like that guy. It's like that guy's pretty dang good, um, and if he can run half as decent as what McCaffrey did against this, like he's gonna run well because that that O line is pretty solid um, in terms of what what they're asked to do. It's the question mark comes in at where their quarterback is because if their quarterback, I don't even know his name, I can't remember his name, um, the the backup to Rosen, if he can't perform well, then that offense is gonna sputter. Um, but for me, the X factor in this game, in terms of UCLA, who we need to watch for is Tack McKinley because he he can basically do it all in that middle of that middle of that defense for UCLA. And if we're gonna win, um, I don't think we can beat them athletically, like to the outside, which means we're gonna have to attack that middle through our guards and our and our O line. And if we can limit what Tack McKinley does to our run game, I think we can handily win this game. Yeah, I'd like to think so, but I just don't know. I I I feel that they're probably going to still be able to put up 40 points on us. And we have to figure out a way to be able to put up like as you said, I think it comes down to our ability, our offense's ability to execute against their defense more so than it comes down to our defense because we've seen that even a quarter or a half of our defense that looks promising is still it's still not that there's a bigger play coming and i think that if the offense doesn't stake a decent lead then this game could actually be a problem for us which seems so silly to say because ucla is you know to their backup quarterback and you know not playing particularly well um yeah sort of on the fence of where i feel about it yeah i mean so the ucla sc game sc beat ucla 36 to 14 at LA only scored 14 points. There are 14 points all in the first half. Seven in the first quarter and set seven in the second quarter. Um, just judging by that, we put up points against SC. Like we, we could, you know, in terms of our offense, be able to perform against that SC defense. Um, and so that's why I think we have a better chance at this game than we did the Stanford game. Just because they've been pummeled all year long um ucla like especially the second half of the season and i just don't think that they have enough in the tank to just be like all right one more one more try guys one more win uh i just don't think that's there 
because at least for us, if we win one more and we end the season five and seven, as as bad as this sounds, we're in the running for a bowl game. <laughs> weirdly, weirdly, because um, there are so many teams that there's so little teams that have uh, six wins this year that there are going to be some teams, I think, that make it to a bowl game with five wins. And I think it could be ours if we get there. I read that the 960 APR that we have, though, isn't isn't high enough. It might not be high enough. Wow. The one-year APR is the highest in the Pac-12, but our like the broader, the multi-year is the one that is not as it's not that high still because of those other years. Yeah. So it's like we're still only in the 960s, and funny enough, like it might be still could be too low which is just classic. But yes, if we want, if we went to a bowl game at 5 and 7, that would be classic. Then the question becomes, do you fire our Kaufman? Just like so many questions in my mind. <laughs> like 5 and 7. Yeah, I'd love to see that happen. Well, what do you think the score is going to be? Let's let's hear your prediction. Uh, my prediction for this game is Cal wins 35 to 24. Oh, goodness you think we're gonna stop them to 24 i all right i don't think i don't think we're gonna have to stop them to 24 i just don't think their offense is good enough to get more than 24 okay like i think they're just they 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 sputtered along all right i'm going cal 41 ucla uh 45 cal loses (laughs) uh cal loses and the spread is perfect vegas nails it for the the final time um yeah i i've been saying cal's gonna win each week and we've lost every single time i say we're gonna win so so i think i'm gonna flip flip the script all right reasonable that's very reasonable all right let's move on to uh our next game uh, or their Pac-12 games of next week. What's your pick for next week? Washington State, UW. The Apple Cup. Uh, yeah, this is the biggest Apple Cup that possibly ever. <laughs> this is, yeah. This is massive, so uh, all eyes should be on this game, and I can't wait to watch. Yeah. Uh, for mine, it's uh, Utah-Colorado, um, just because Colorado, Colorado is still winning to win the Pac-12 or South. Utah is not in it anymore, but at the same time, Utah is still vying to get to a better bowl game and just solidifying their spot in the Pac-12 rankings to get themselves to possibly the Holiday Bowl, uh, maybe even better if things play out the way they do. So, yeah, I mean, this is going to be an intense game because Colorado needs to win this one to stay in contention for the Pac-12 South. Utah probably just doesn't want to see their Pac-12 entrance rival to to be able to get anywhere near there. So there's a lot of pride on this line on the line for both teams in this one too. So I think that'll be fun to watch. Definitely. I'll tune in for that game. Yeah, I will. I'll, uh, that's a nice pick. Yeah. All right. That's it for football. On to some basketball. We are both at mm. the Cal UCI game, uh, where Ivan Rabb did not play, <laughs> where Grant Mullins did not play and where Jabari bird did not play. So, 
I don't know. What what do you think of the the basketball atmosphere? I know this was your first game this season, so there's you know there's uh, not much of a basis there. But what do you think of the stadium atmosphere in the game? I I thought it was really empty, and then I was incredibly impressed with how loud it got progressively later in the game. It was fun. It was genuinely a great time, and it was such a nice like refresh from the like the way that football is trending yeah that i i just i had a blast it was so much it just was ended up being one of those things where i didn't have really any expectations coming in you know uci isn't a big name um but to the untrained college basketball fan that's sort of the approach but to you and i know well you elaborate on this with their coach and sort of their team like that's not that's not a team to to laugh at that's, that's a good team so uh, it's a well-coached basketball team, and yeah, I had. I mean, I thought the stadium was a total blast, and though it was like half full, it, it was as loud as I've heard it. So it was sweet. Yeah, I mean, UCI Russell Turner was actually one of the uh, coaches on the short list for when we were replacing Mike Montgomery, um, and what he's done with this UCI program. It's been pretty good, um, and I can't remember what conference they're in. I just can't, uh, but. Judging from some of the stuff I read, people are picking them to be the second best team in their conference. So, you know, as as taking it for whatever you want, um, as you can say it, that their conference is bad or whatnot, but their guards are for real, um, and their two forwards and their center, like they're huge. I think they have two seven foot two guys that are on their roster, and one of them shoots threes, which we saw. Um, the I think he's Greek, uh, Ioannis Dimakopoulos. I hope I didn't butcher that name. But he shot four threes, made two of them. Uh, but, of course, their their strength was their guards. Uh, Jerome Martin shot 10 of 22 or 21, 26 points. Max Hazard, who Cal actually uh, was considering giving a scholarship to, went 5 of 7, uh, 3 of 5, 13 points. So, I yeah. thought their guard, Jerome Martin, was incredibly impressive. Yeah. Um, he consistently made like our defense. Our defense the second half was noticeably better and was impressive. And even on him, every single time I felt like there was a hand in the face and he was getting bodied, and he was making just outrageous shots. Yeah, he, he was quite good all night. And they play in the Big West, by the yeah, way. Big West, that's right. Um, and yeah, we went on a couple of runs where. It felt like maybe we can get right back into where we reached in, you know, we we down eight going in half and it led to like 13 at one point, but then we brought it back to like five. But like every time it went between like five or four points, one of their guards would just nail a three or just hit like a mid-range jumper and just stop our run and it would extend back up to eight or to seven. Um, and I legit thought we had no shot in this game towards the end of the game, but Boy, was I wrong. Um, and Mr. Charlie Moore. I mean, you and I witnessed history. <laughs> like, we witnessed Cal history at this game. Uh, Charlie Moore, true freshman point guard, drops 38 on 10 of 20 shooting, 3 of 7 from 3, and 15 of 17 from the free throw line. I actually checked out those averages, and I believe it's uh, he's at 50% from the field, Close to 50%, like 49 or 48% from three and 88% from the free throw line. Those are his percentages. And he broke Sharif Abdurrahim's freshman uh, scoring record, which was at 33. 
and was the most points scored since Jerome Randall's 39 and Leon Poe's 41. So it's it's up there in terms of total points by a single player. His That game and his performance was absolutely amazing. And I've been raving about him all year. But for you, for seeing him in person, like how do you feel about what Charlie did this game? Yeah, it was one of those performances where they just started to stack up and he got hot and we really didn't have any other option the first half on offense. No. And that's what I felt like turned the game is when finally uh, Singer got involved and Rooks got involved and we took some of the pressure off Charlie Moore having to do everything. But when, when he was called on, he was just, he just did it. And, and it, I think the most shocking thing was seeing him in the post game press conference. And he's just a kid. <laughs> he doesn't look a day older than, he doesn't look a day older than 14. He's out there, uh, you know, Putting up like that big of a figure, and it was great to see. It reminded me a lot of Jerome Randall, yep. and it was yeah, it was awesome. And I think to see talk to Cam Rooks and hear him talk about Charlie Moore too, it seems like they weren't all that surprised. No, I mean, you know, once again, he was the number one point guard in the state of Illinois coming out of high school uh, this year. He was. Uh, He's a four-star recruit, you know, originally com- committed to, uh, what's it, Memphis with Josh Pastner, but Josh Pastner went to Georgia Tech. So instead of going to Memphis, he decided to come here to Cal. So I'm thankful for him. Um, and I've, I've actually heard that Jerome Randall actually has talked to him before um, and talked to him about Cal and um, about the school and everything. And people tweeted at Jerome after Charlie's performance, and he he was basically saying, yeah, I, I don't expect any less uh, from a Chicago point guard. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that. Um, and, yeah, the atmosphere was – the game actually went to overtime too. And the atmosphere was amazing. People were on their feet, you know, um, and everyone was cheering. Only two games into the season and people are still, like, on their feet, like staying late for an overtime game. And it was it was fun. It was really fun. <laughs> And that was without our three, arguably our three best players. So, on to on to our next game, which is actually tomorrow or today, if you're listening to this on Monday. Uh, Cal San Diego State uh, in Sacramento uh, at the Golden One Center, the new Sacramento Kings Stadium. Uh, Conzo did say, I remember you and I were there uh, when they asked him at the press conference, he said that uh, barring anything, he expects... To see all three of them. So this might be the first time that we actually see our full squad. Um, and I'm hyped. Are you hyped? Yeah, I can't wait. Well, I'm d- definitely, yes, because I want to get revenge for the San Diego State loss. And then add on top of that, I have a bet going with one of our friends here uh, for a Mai Tai. So I, I really uh, <laughs> good <laughs> Cal victory. Yes, I can't wait to watch Ivan Rab play. I've only heard the hype, and I'm just ready to see it in person so i hope that he plays and i'm ex- i mean i think it's cool that they're playing at golden one and uh it should be a pretty good environment up there yeah i will be making the drive up there uh, along with some of the cal rival guys and also our our best friend avi on our website he'll be joining us as well um so yeah uh, we'll have coverage of the game on the golden blogs twitter account along with uh, recaps and insta recaps and all that good stuff um, after the game. So stay tuned on our website for that. 
All right, uh, last bit of news, recruiting. Uh, so good news today. So there's good football news today, weirdly. I didn't I didn't think I'd hear any good football news today. But football, we have two commits that came in today, 2018 quarterback Adrian Martinez and 2018 offensive lineman Casey Roddick. Your thoughts? Wow, both of them are 2018? Yeah, yep. 2018 is so far from now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I looked at... I looked Martinez up. He's got a lot of strong interest from some very good schools. So, but I think uh, Roddick's 2017. Okay, 2017. Um, but yeah, and so he's got a lot of strong interest, and then definitely O line is where we need it. Um, you know, our O line is is very experienced, but we're going to lose a couple of key players there. So we need to be able to backfill, and uh, luckily some of the younger guys have gotten in this year but i mean roddick looks good he had interest from some pretty strong schools out on the west coast and then martinez for sure had a little like a very impressive interest from schools so it looks great yeah i mean it looks like spav is getting the quarterbacks that he wants um so 2018 he has or 2017 he got garbers 2018 he's got adrian martinez 2019 of course is the big one that i think if you if you follow Cal recruiting, is the guy that all of us want is Michael Johnson from San Jose, who is now just just finished his sophomore year of college, but we offered him as a freshman, so uh, we're clearly in the running uh, for that for that kid. And you know, no, there won't be any like uh, what's it scouting reports done on him and him rated um, in terms of stars until later on, but. Judging from his tape as a freshman and sophomore, Michael Johnson, I think, is easily a five-star quarterback. I, mm. I don't, I highly doubt that he doesn't pan out to be a five-star quarterback at this rate. Just, just judging from his freshman tape to sophomore tape alone. So, I'm hyped. I am very hyped. I'm hyped to see the quarterbacks and especially next year. Oh, uh, the quarterback situation for court or the question for next year is going to be. Very, very insane, especially with the fact that we haven't played any of our young guys this year. So that pretty much settles that, like, whole who's going to be our quarterback next year. We don't know. <laughs> I don't think anyone knows. Do you know? Do you have Do you have any inside sources on who our quarterback is for next year? Yeah, I think we'll end up with another grad transfer. <laughs> like, totally, 100%. I think we've painted ourselves in that situation. I think it's the only way that if – if Dykes does indeed stay around, that he has a good enough year for him to feel comfortable. I don't, I don't think he's going to get away with this year. I think he's fine. Whether we win or lose against UCLA, I, I don't think Cal would do anything to remove him from his position. But I don't think that he can get away with another year. It has to go up. So I think I'd imagine us bringing in some sort of graduate transfer, whether it be Max Brown or someone else. I think that's where we'll go. And then um, either Garbers or Gilliam or or maybe uh, Victor gets in there as sort of the quarterback for the future because it's clear that that they don't care about Bowers or Forrest. Otherwise, we would have seen them. And it, that I, I just can't believe that we ha- have any faith in those guys. If I, I don't know, it doesn't make any sense. Otherwise, we would see them. We'd get them those game experience. So, yep, might be grad transfer life once more, which can be frustrating, but. There's good talent out there, and our class is looking at our class. I mean, it's ranked 44th in the country right now. 
which is a fine range, in my opinion, for us to be in. Uh, a lot of times we forget that the teams like Washington State and Colorado's of the world and you, even Utah, they don't pull these top 30 classes and they just grab these under-the-radar guys. So you don't need to have you know, the top 10, top 15. It makes it a lot more exciting. But you know, for us right now, it's about finding bodies and finding athletes that can get into the right places where we need that depth. You know, we obviously need some help on the D-line. We definitely need help at linebacker. That's very obvious. Um, and we need players that can play both ways. So there's there's at least a decent amount of momentum on that side of the ball, I guess. Yeah. So I guess the question comes back to what happens with our Kaufman and if we decide to keep him or if he stays and how we reassemble that defensive No, he coaching. can't stay. <laughs> he can't stay. He's got to be gone. There's yeah. no way. Yeah, There's I think- no way you can have this bad of defense on your record and, and, and make it through. There's just Andy Buck couldn't do it, and there's no chance our Kaufman sticks around, especially not with the dialogue that Sonny laid down at that post-game press yeah. conference. Yeah. All right, uh, a little more recruiting news. Basketball, there is none. It's uh, back to the drawing board. We've pretty much whiffed on all our tar- like big name targets for this year. So, can you it's... walk me through this? How big of a deal is this? How big of a deal is it? Um, yeah. So you're basically so. If I'm if I were to interpret this question, you're basically asking me: Is this a, just a blip or is this a trend? Is that what you're trying to ask? Well, I, two twofold. Okay. Are we struggling on the recruiting side or are we not doing as well as expected on the recruiting side because we don't have Yanni anymore Uh or is it just like pure happenstance? And then how big of an impact does this have on our team going forward, not being able to get those guys? All right, so last of the first one in terms of uh, the Huffnagel thing. The the only guy that Yanni recruited that we did not end up getting was Tyson Jolly. Um, he was the only guy that Yanni was recruiting at the time. Everyone else that everyone else was our other coaches and Konzo. So in terms of that, he didn't play that much of an effect. So if you look at it from that standpoint, the guys we have coming in next year and the guys we had coming in this year, Yanni didn't really play a big influence of us losing a lot of guys or keeping a lot of guys. So, you know, the guys like Jamal Baker, Charlie Moore, like those are... Those are like Viking, Coach Viking Jones and Coach Conzo and uh, some of the other coaches. So there's that. I don't think the Yanni thing is a big deal. And I think the the trend of the basketball recruiting is going to be a little bigger long term. Um, I think the standards for most fans were set so high because of what we got in Ivan and Jalen, two top mm-hmm. five guys. But, you know, it, we're not. We're not a blue blood powerhouse basketball school. We're not going to be like Kansas or Kentucky or, or Duke pulling in um, three of the top 15 guys every single year. That's just not how we do it. Um, but I do think that the guys that we went after this year, which included the likes of Ira Lee, Troy Brown, Brandon McCoy, who just actually released his top five, were not in it. Um, so I do think the coaching staff did did try and set us up pretty well. I really think that they thought that they could get at least two of those th- three guys um it just didn't fall our way Um, in terms of the ira lee thing like you know we were in his top two troy brown we were in his top four um or most people suspect that we were actually in his top three so you know it's just recruiting you know 18 year old kid can change his mind literally before he picks his hat so it was just one of those situations where it didn't fall our way um but you look at what's in the works 
down the line with the likes of um, top five uh, player in 2018, Jordan Brown, and some other guys in that 2018 class, like we're in a good spot with a lot of guys. So I think we'll be fine going forward. Uh, looking at the team composition for next year uh, with with Roger gone, with Mingo gone, with Singer gone, with uh, King and Cam will be here, but Cam is the question mark just because Cam is a redshirt junior, which means that he, he'll graduate from Cal this year. So it depends on whether he decides to stay or if he decides to go elsewhere as a grad transfer. Um, but with that core right there and then with Roman Davis potentially getting better and Don Coleman probably getting better as a wing player. We'll still get Marcus Lee for one year. And that is such a huge side relief because with Ivan leaving that power forward spot and that interior play is going to be so crucial to all the uh, perimeter guys that we have. And the fact that we have a fifth year guy who is undoubtedly was an amazing, amazing athlete and player uh, being there to be a stopgap until the following year is huge. So realistically, the twenty seven. I thought the twenty seventeen class might be a make it or break it year for Conzo, but I actually think twenty eighteen might actually be that class, just because he set himself up so well to be at least decent next season. That the following year of who he brings in as freshman and can he can he get guys that he'll that'll stay for three four years and can he get the one-and-done guys that'll make an immediate impact and create that balance um, is going to be key. So, mm. yeah, that's where that's what I have the team going forward. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, it seems like we're in a good spot. and it, I mean, if there's any testament to the depth that we have, it's that win that we just both witnessed. So I yeah. do feel that we're in a really good spot, and Charlie Morris doesn't seem like he'd be a one-and-done type player. So uh, having him stick around and – um, you know, I think we're yeah. The basketball program feels like it's on the rise. It's very much on the rise. Yeah, I'm every year ever since last year or ever since last off season when we actually got Ivan and Jalen. Like I've been so hyped about this coaching staff. Thank you, Sandy Barber, for this coaching staff. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sandy, for listening Thank to us. Thank Still you. Still dreaming of California out there while you're cold on the East Coast. Yeah. Uh, all right. So before we before we finish, we have two questions that we got on Twitter. All right. Uh, the first one is odds that Sonny Dykes will ever beat a David Shaw coached for team. Andy, your take? Not great. <laughs> Not great. Uh, I thought this year would be the year. I thought last. Well, I thought last year would be the year. Then I thought this year would be the year. Um, maybe with McCaffrey gone, they don't, they don't look as imposing next, next season. So maybe next year if Dyke sticks around, but there's a good chance never. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, let me ask it to you this way. Would it change what you just said, your prediction? Would that change depending on who we get potentially as a defensive coordinator for next year? Would change. Um, I think the D coordinator. Yeah, I I think that would have a pretty big impact on it. Um, at the same time, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. if we got the right coordinator in here, 
who someone who can slow down like their offense isn't you know it was one of those things where we were stacking the box with seven eight guys almost the whole game you know yesterday and forcing them to throw the ball and their quarterback their quarterback looks pretty poor he didn't look even I almost said average but he didn't even look average he couldn't complete a pass and then he completed a, a late couple of passes to and you know he at the end ended up, ended up having three touchdowns but I wasn't blown away by that team in the way that I have been in the past. I'm like, yep, there goes Stanford again. So I think they have some work to do. Um, they're in on a couple of top O linemen, and the longer that they can continue, or the longer they can sustain that level of recruiting, the better off they'll be, and the more of a thorn in our side. And when we have, you know, maybe some smaller guys on our D line, but I think that a D coordinator, the right D coordinator can come in here and work with players like Saffle and Evan Weaver, hopefully recruit a couple of linebackers and then use that secondary to put together, you know, a 70th ranked defense in the country. And if we had had that once again, this game would have been a lot tighter coming down the stretch. So yeah, I don't think, I think there are long odds, but I think there is a formula for success against Stanford. I don't, I don't look at them the same way I look at, where Washington's at or where SC seems to be moving to, where it just feels like it's going to be a while until we see that happen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the boat. I'm in the same boat. Um, I think, I think no, but if we get hired the right defense coordinator that gets me hyped that he can change this defense and turn it around. Yeah. I think we can do it. All right. On our next question is uh, they want us to chat about, Early recruiting progress and or coaches on the hot seat. So I guess we'll go through just the recruiting progress because in terms of coaching on the hot seat, I think we already discussed that with Art Kaufman on the hot seat is the biggest one in terms of our coaching staff and the fact that it is a contract year. So, you know, he's literally up in the air or maybe even a foot out the door. We don't know, but it's what yeah, it's that's what it's gone. sounding like. Um. I guess here, let me just read you through the, the list of commitments that we have and tell me what you think we might need to fill. Okay. So we just got Casey Roddick, who's an O-lineman, three stars. We got Paul Scott, a linebacker from Oakland, who's two stars. Michael Saffel, an O-lineman, uh, that's three stars. Oh, I, got, I got you on this. Yeah. I think I think it's D-line. Okay. I think there's we don't have enough coming in on the D-line, and that uh, it's like two-star guys. And if Sonny really wants like athletes in there that can make a difference, it's going to need to be some four-star guys, bigger-bodied guys on the D-line. D-line is one of those positions that you can recruit for, and there's, in my opinion, less people that are under the radar that kind of sneak in there because you need to have a, a certain size in order to like, ultimately like, – people judge you a lot more on your size, whereas you can be an undersized, really good linebacker in college. You can be an undersized – safety and be really good but to be an undersized lineman it's a lot harder and i think we've seen that with players throughout the years um they've just you know struggled against bigger o linemen and so that's the position i'd look at that i look at right now and i'm like nah we're not there yet um no i mean i think we only got two right alex funches the defensive end from athens texas who's three stars mm -hmm. and gabe cherry from bakersfield california who's three stars those are the only two d linemen we got yeah, we need more, and we need someone that can come in and play right away. And you get somebody like that, it would be – if you get someone like that, it would be a big game changer for us because I think Looney's out. 
I, I just can't imagine. Looney has played so well all year. I can't imagine he stays. And, and Devontae Wilson's graduating. Yep. So you have some serious pieces to fill there. Otherwise, we're going to have quarterbacks sitting back there with no pressure all year. Yeah, that's not to say the young guys aren't good. Like, Saffle is still going to be here. Weaver is still going to be here. But it's the guys behind him that you want, right? And Sonny talks about all that, all the, uh, about it all the time with the depth, the depth, the depth. Then you need to build that depth um, to pretty much like the third string guys at this rate. Um, you, you can't have a two deep. You need a three deep at every position, basically. So... Yeah, we need to go after the D-line guys badly. Um, in terms of the other positions, like, we're still stacking up at wide receiver, which is, like, amazing to see, like, that guys still want to come here despite the fact that they know that there's, like, a huge logjam at receiver ahead of them. Um, guys like the four-star wide receiver from Buena Park, Tariq Johnson, that guy is going to be a monster wide receiver. He's going to be really good at 6'3", 206, like, and... With pretty decent speed, um, he's going to be really good whether you place him on the inside or the outside. But you can't keep just getting wide receivers and running backs. Like I, like Biagio Ali Walsh, running back from Nevada, who is actually Muhammad Ali's grandson. Like he, you know, he's going to be a pretty good running back as well. But we can't just consistently have offensive talent coming in. Like I want to be hyped about like a four-star defensive guy coming in. Like Jalen Hawkins was one I was excited about, but as Sonny said, and you heard him in the press conference, he they recruited him as a wide receiver and then they flipped him to safety. So I w- I'm not really hyped about that. Like I want to see like either a four or five star linebacker or a lineman come in, or defensive lineman come in, and I just want to be like that guy is going to be the anchor of that the, the, our defense for the next three years. Mm-hmm. And we haven't had that type of defensive hype in forever. I don't. I can't even think of the last one that gave us that much. I mean, Keenan, like he was, he was rated. <laughs> he was safety. <laughs> he was. He was rated as the number one safety in all of high school when he was coming out. Uh, but we flipped him on the wide receiver, and he's making his money in the NFL. So I don't know. I I don't know who we can go after. I'd have to do a little more research in terms of who's available and who we're actually targeting um, that would be able to do that. But at this rate, I mean. There's just there's not a lot um, that we can that we're going for. So yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, uh, I mean, just to end, I'll give you two names. Like the big name for for me is Drew Singleton, that offensive linebacker that we've been talking about from from New Jersey. He's always wanted to come check out um, Cal, and he said Cal's on his list of official visits. Like he's there. Uh, the four-star cornerback from Buena Park as well. He's a teammate of Hawkins and uh, Tariq Johnson, Elijah Gates. You know, he's he's one of those guys that we want, but he's a corner, right? Um, and I'm just looking at this down this list of like offers that we have, um, and we got one offer on a on a defensive tackle, uh, Fidarian Mathis. He is the tenth ranked defensive tackle from Monroe, Louisiana. So. Mm. Offer list consists of us, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, LSU. So it's a pretty good list, but we still have to beat out those schools is what is looking really difficult to do. So I don't know. I don't know where we go from here uh, in terms of recruiting. And it realistically, the defensive side of the ball in terms of that recruiting isn't going to be set until we actually know what's happening with our defensive coordinator. So, yeah. How's uh how's the G Harris looking? 
I don't know. It's it's gone quiet, and I'm pretty sure it's also gone quiet because it is like middle of the season. Um, you know, or uh, towards the end of the season for high school football. So that's probably why he's just it's dead silent. And you know, football it's it's all about National Signing Day. You know, making it all a, the grandiose. You know, signing with the picking of the hats and things like that. So. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if Cal can pull something out of the hat. I mean, that'd be amazing. It like that would cure like for me all the defensive woes if we can pull the the best <laughs> running back like of this class and by far the number one prospect in the country. So yeah, I'm I'm hyped to see where he goes, uh, but I'm I would like to say that we're in it, but I would also like to say that. He's still committed to Alabama, and if you're a running back in the top ten that's committed to Alabama, I don't see why you wouldn't go to Alabama because you're gonna get the ball handed to you like twenty times a game. So, yeah, that's just mm. my two cents on it. All right, that pretty much wraps it up for us. We are done here at the Bearcast. Once again, if you have any questions for us, uh, please tweet at us. You can tweet at me at Rob11, the number's 11HWNG. You can find Andy at Andy J Beast Mode. Yep. You can find all our stuff written up uh, on CaliforniaGoldenBlogs.com. You can find Andy's uh, post game recap of the big game up. Um, it's kind of dark. Not really. <laughs> Just kind of. Just kind of. It's a, it's a shade. Yeah, it's a tad dark. It's a tad dark. It's a tad dark. It's. <laughs> yeah, it's not real dark, dark, but it's dark. Um, I, I, yeah, it's it's a little dark. <laughs> uh, my, uh, you'll find some of my stuff up there in a, in a couple days or so with uh, new basketball stuff going up and things like that. And yeah, I don't think anything else. I think we're gonna try and get some guests on over the next couple weeks. Maybe get a uh, collaboration podcast going with the Pod is on the field um, to wrap up the season in a couple weeks. So, yeah, there's all. And anything else you want to add, Andy? No, have a great Thanksgiving. And uh, I'm looking forward to watching the UCLA game. I hope you have fun in the booth. And I hope we take the victory because, you know, winning one time over a Pac- California Pac-12 school would be nice in the last four years. Yeah, yeah. And don't worry, I'll be, I'll be texting you throughout the game as well. <laughs> Excellent. I look forward to that. That's what I need. <laughs> All right, and as always, go Bears. Go Bears. You know it! Why? You tell the story! Why? You tell the whole damn world this is Bear territory! You know it! Why? You tell the story! Why? You tell the whole damn world this is Bear territory! You know it! Why? You tell the story! Why? You tell the whole damn world this is Bear territory! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.